Genesis 15, we're in our seventh part of our series, halfway through our series, Knowing God. And here we'll look at the story of Abraham. Now in this chapter, you'll see his name is Abram. That was his original name. Lord God changes Abraham's name to multitude. Remember the song we sang? Father Abraham had many sons and daughters, right? I don't know why many sons had five, right? He actually had eight sons. I don't know why we say many, but it's because uh, we are children of Abraham in the sense of stepping into faith in Christ uh, through Abraham. Abraham meaning multitude, but his original name, Abram, meant exalted father. Exalted father. Which is a fine name if you have eight sons, but at this point in the story, Abram and Sarah have no sons. They have no children. So I imagine that name sort of weighed a little heavy on him uh, to have a name that was supposed to be a blessing, but really he just carried it around the sense of never being sure of the future because God hadn't given him an heir. And so that's where we continue with the story. We're sort of jumping right in at chapter 15. And let's read, uh, for now, let's just read the first few verses and I'll comment and then we'll continue. Chapter 15 of Genesis, it says, After this, that is after uh, Abram had rescued Lot and his family, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You're my shield, my reward. God's led him to this point. But what is it that Abram really wants? Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. The Lord God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram had heard the promises of the Lord before. Here God is saying, Abram, this servant of yours, this end around, this shortcut, he will not be your heir. A son from your, of your own flesh and blood. And what's more, he takes him out and shows him all the stars. He wants Abram to trust him. And it says that Abram believed. The Hebrew there is, he said, amen. He leaned on it. He trusted the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we're going to do a whole series next year in the book of, of Romans, and we're going to spend a lot of time unpacking the significance of that very moment in the path of Abraham being the father of faith, the father of, of faith in Christ. Let's continue then. This is, that's scene one. Here's scene two, verses seven to the end of the chapter. He also said to the Lord, I, I, he also said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So first he's 
promised about the heir. Now he's going to talk about this land. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of the land? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. The sun was setting. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Verse 17 to the end. When the sun had set, darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pit with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kentites, the Kezites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it is a wonder that I got through all of those different people groups. <laughs> Here it is. Father Abraham, the father of faith. And yet he still has doubt, doesn't he? God's word should have been enough. We could go back over the past number of chapters to see again and again how the Lord promises to Abraham. He gives him his word. He says, I have a plan. I've led you from your homeland to this place, and you and Sarai, I've got great plans for you. It should have been enough. The righteous cred that he had earned in that moment of belief ought to have been enough. But Abram says, Lord God, he looks around and he sees a land populated by people groups already there, his enemies now. He says, God, give me a sign. And this ritual here is that sign. And what a strange ritual it is. This is like a, this isn't quite like a Super Bowl party plan, right? You call up your friends and your pod, right? We're all being safe. We're not having too many people. But yeah, bring a, bring a, a young cow and some other animals and just cut them in half and lay them out on the front lawn. Is that what's happening here? A heifer, a goat, a ram. These are all sacrificial animals of a certain age. Along with a dove and a young pigeon, just for good measure. The Lord tells them to, tells Abram, collect these animals. Imagine it took the better part of a day to run around and collect some animals. Abram seems to know what to do. He doesn't seem to need any more instruction. Do you notice that? He butchers the four-legged animals. He lays them in two rows, picture it. Sorry, or not. It's kind of gross. Blood's pouring out 
Sunday school teachers, how do you teach this passage? Mom, how do you, do you, do you cover this with your three-year-olds in BSF? Briefly. Briefly, she says. Yeah, thank you. Well, we're going to go a little bit more detail. What a scene. Look at the detail. It says that, that birds of prey, this would be vultures, are flying in. Abraham has to shoo them away. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on around here? What a crazy scene. Well, back in ancient times, and for centuries thereafter, there was no stronger guarantee of a legal agreement than a covenant. Than cutting a covenant. In fact, that's literally what the Hebrew is translated, cutting a covenant. Now, think about where that term has led to us today. Have you ever heard of cutting a deal? Let's cut a deal, right? Let's strike a bargain. This comes from the covenant. It comes from cutting a covenant. And it's kind of a strange, sort of disgusting scene, isn't it? That's why we just treat it briefly with kids' ministry. But now, these are ancient times. These are ancient people. And we are much more sophisticated now, aren't we? Or are we? Think about it in the distant future. If the Lord tarries, meaning that if the Lord doesn't come back too soon. In the distant future, when they look back in the uh, early 21st century, we still talked about shaking on it. How disgusting it will be. Back in the day, we would spit, right? Have a, have a, have a deal. It's disgusting. That's what's happening here. The act of dividing animals and laying them out in two parties walking between the rows of the severed parts is a manner in which ancient contractual legal agreements were formed. We have extra-biblical references and examples and documentation and artifacts to this end of kings and peoples and nations and two parties cutting a covenant. And, and whether it was two parties of people or, or nations or business partners, what have you, it was pretty much the same procedure for making a covenant partnership. Sacrifice special animals cut in two, laid in rows with witnesses watching the two parties walking between the rows to make the covenant. Two things were happening in such a scene. Number one, both parties were saying this covenant is binding. By cutting this covenant, I am staking my reputation on it, my honor on keeping this by walking through those lines. So both reputations of both parties or kings or nations or what have you were going to be responsible. Second, walking between these two rows, the parties were saying how serious they were taking this covenant. They were saying, if, if I break this covenant, may it be done to me what's been done to these animals. So the sealing of a covenant was about reputation and honor, but far more than that, you're staking your life on it. May blood be spilled if this covenant is broken. What does this strange scene have to do with Abram and Sarai, who later become Abraham and Sarah, and for you and me? Abraham asks a question. The father of faith has a doubt. He says, how can I know for certain? Give me a sign, O God. And this is the sign 
God gives. This whole series is titled, Knowing God. And there are many things we can know for certain about the Lord our God, but there are still far, far more many things that are mysterious about the ways of God, the purposes of God, even the, the attributes of God. There are those things that are visible and those things that are invisible. There are aspects of God's will that, that are known and revealed, and then there's the hidden will of God. We should really consider that even as we continue in the series, that we should be, and I should be, and our team ought to be very humble in coming with a degree of uncertainty. So often we want to be certain about things, don't we? But there's so many things about our faith that have to be lived and experienced, not read in a book. After all that butchering, sorry, that's the last reference I'll make to it. Sarah's going to lose her lunch. <laughs> driving the vultures away, the Bible says Abram fell into a deep sleep. It says, quote, a thick and great darkness fell upon him. When have we seen people interacting with Lord God who've fallen asleep before? We, can we think of passages in the old and new? Think about Adam, when he fell asleep? What, what about the visions we talked about in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, when John was having visions on that Lord's day of Patmos. Well, here it says, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a, quote, thick and great darkness fell upon him. I want you to keep that in mind. Consider what, what kind of nightmare may Abram have been having. We'll come back to that. See, these are little important clues, folks. When you're studying the word on your own, don't, don't rush through it. Don't read it too fast. Take time to meditate, savor it. What, what might that mean? Then in the, in the state of this dream state, in this vision, the Lord God says to Abram, I want you to know a few things for certain. But he speaks a certain vision that would make no sense whatsoever to Abram, of descendants that will be his people, that for 400 years they will be slaves in a place. They will then be delivered from that place and leave that place with great possession. Now, we know what that scene is, don't we? Just go to the next book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. Even as the Lord God is communicating this scene to Abram, how would he possibly have any way of making sense of it when he's an old man, he doesn't even have a single heir, and here the Lord God's giving him a vision of generations to come. Then we come to verse 17. Look there with me. And to the end of the scene. God's prepared Abram for this moment, for the sign that he wants, but there's yet mystery in this vision. It says, quote, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord Yahweh made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I give. Not I will give. Not it's a sure thing. It's all the other uh, verb tenses in the past have been. It's coming. It's, he's saying it's definitely done. I've given you this occupied land. He then outlines the borders of the promised land. I don't want you to miss this. Fiery pot a fire pot, a blazing torch, so there's fire and there's smoke. Whenever we see fire and smoke in Scripture, 
God's presence is there. What do we see when, uh, in the next book of the Bible when Moses passes by a burning bush and the Lord speaks to him? What happens at Mount Sinai? Uh, when the people are there, there's smoke and there's thunder and lightning and, and, and there's fire. What happened on Pentecost Sunday? How did the Holy Spirit come down? Was it a, a, a spring rain? What was it? It looked like flames. Whenever there's fire or smoke, it, it represents the presence of God. And so here we have the presence of God, the Spirit of God, passing between these carcasses to, to cut this covenant with a human being. God's word should have been enough. Has anyone ever said to you, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And yet you've been left to want more. Isn't there more to learn? God's word ought to have been enough. And yet he gives Abraham a sign. He condescends into that context, into that understanding of that cultural setting as something that Abram could understand. And with this picture, we see the pursuit of God. God's pursuit of his people. Lovingly, mercifully, gracefully accommodating to the needs of this man in order to make a covenant partnership. Can you think of a time when you've asked God for a sign? God, God give, give me a sign. Mahomes or Brady, I, I got 50 bucks. Is that the kind of sign we need? No. Much bigger stuff, isn't it? Last night in small group, we were in the Strobel's uh, garage, of course, with the doors open and the, the fire burning to keep us warm, but the air flowing. And, and one of our elders asked me, Pastor Pete, what's the nugget for this morning's message? Here's the nugget. Consider the way you approach God in prayer. Abram's asleep, isn't he? He's having a vision, something absolutely fantastic is happening here, and yet he doubts. I want you to consider how you approach God in prayer. And how often is your prayer life riddled with doubt? Am I the only one who's had moments? Have you had a moment when you're praying and you think, I'm just talking to myself right now. I, I don't know what's happening. Has that been you? Or have you ever had a, a time of prayer and you think, well, God, the, the world's problems are so much bigger than mine. I mean, with everything going on, and you're going to do whatever you're going to do anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I pray. Has that ever been you? I want you to notice something very significant. Look at verse 17 very closely. Consider what I explained to you about how covenants were cut. Do you catch it? Only God passes through the two roads. Abram is just an observer. He doesn't pass through the roads. He, he's passed out. He's just laying there. He's observing this scene. A covenant is to be cut between Two people, we're going to take equal responsibility, right? That's how a covenant is made. That's how contracts 
are handled. It, it's, it's both people. Some a couple breaks up, like, hey, it wasn't you, it was me. But really, it was you, right? People break up, and they split out their, their, uh, their, their belongings. A contract is broken. Someone's responsible, because it's two parties. Here we have God unilaterally setting the terms and the conditions of the covenant. Almighty God is saying, this covenant, which is, by the way, the very foundation of all of our faith, why we're here, it's not what we do, it's what he has done. The foundation of this covenant hinges on what God has said. God is saying, I am cutting this covenant, and it hinges on me and me alone. I am responsible, the Lord God says, for its fulfillment. I will guarantee it for both parties. God sets the terms. God, mercifully, you hear the gospel here for us. He enters a blood covenant, staking his honor, reputation, his own blood for our sake. It's the basis of faith, not what you have done, but what he has accomplished. The Lord God had said, Abram, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And those were just words to him. He needed more. And here God demonstrates how far he's willing to go to assume all of the risk. How long did it take before Adam and Eve messed up the garden? Uh, about a red-hot minute. How long did Abram and Sarai hold up their end of this covenant, promise of children and land? Uh, read the very next verse. God's saying, if, if I don't keep my promise, may it be done to me what was done to these animals. God's laying his reputation down and saying, if, if either party in this covenant breaks covenant, may God's blood be spilled. Nothing of Abram guarantees the covenant. People got to stop trying to do it yourselves. You're not going to outsmart God. You're not going to achieve some level of, of perfection, and then that's when God's going to answer your prayers. It doesn't work that way. Its success is beyond Abram and beyond you. Only God initiates, only God guarantees it. There's one thing that Abram does need to do and that you need to do is to say yes to God. That's it. Do you still doubt your prayers are heard by your Father in heaven? Do you still think that you're not not only an important but an essential part of God's plans by his good grace? Do you know how you fit in his plan? Abram was saved on that day in the same way that all the Old Testament saints were saved, in the same way that all in the New Testament, in the same way we are today, by faith through grace. And Paul will go to great lengths to explain that, and we'll look at the book of Romans. Give me some time, maybe next year. This covenant is the covenant that God has cut. We see multiple covenants in the Old Testament, don't we? And fulfilled in the New. But there's one covenant. We, 
folks get, get a little confused. And, well, there's this one, and there's this one, this dispensation, this age, and well, let's cut it all out, and let's move all the pieces around. Like, no, no. It's a big part of God's big story, his story that he's telling. And so we have the covenant God made with Noah, the Noahic covenant, where people were wicked, and God promised not to destroy the land, and he gave us what? A rainbow, right? PSA, the more that we know. The Abrahamic covenant here, promise of descendants and a promise of a land. God promises to bless. The Mosaic covenant, God explains to Moses, this is how I want my people to live. This is how they'll thrive in the land. And how long did that last? Were you here a couple of weeks ago? The covenant with David, establishing David and the, and the nation and the, and the kingly line, that all of that was going to be a foreshadowing of what's to come with the coming of Jesus. And then God promised one final covenant called the new covenant. Let's look at Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their children or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What a promise. What an offer. Yet there was no sign. And so for centuries, people cried out, Lord God, give us a sign. Show us a sign. When will a sign come? Lord, when will there be a sign that your plans will work out the way you've promised? That sovereign history will work itself out as you've said in your word? Lord, give us a sign that you Truly hear and answer our prayer. Lord, give us a sign that, that justice and restoration will come to the land one day. Lord, Lord God, give us a sign. You fill in the blank for yourself. Lord, give me a sign. Fill in the blank in your own minds right now. What is it? Right now, today might be that very sign. Close your eyes, pray right now at home. What is the sign that you're asking for from God? Lord God, give me a sign that with the pressures and, and, and the darkness of this world, that my kids will, will get through high school and college, will make it through and truly succeed in life by walking with Jesus. Lord, give me a sign in this wicked age of things to come. Then in AD 33, at the Passover dinner, a man like no other man in history stood and raised a cup of wine and said, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. And the next day, that man, like no other man, hung on a Roman cross and his blood was spilled at Calvary. Could it be that dreadful scene and nightmare that Abram had so many centuries ago, could he have not have had a vision of Calvary on that day? Of a man like no other, whose reputation was flawless, whose honor was above all reproach, and yet he was smitten struck down, rejected, scorned, spit upon, 
dragged through the streets. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense for us, for the world. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. This new covenant cut because of our failings. God's own son paid the price. And now Ephesians 1 and our next series in the spring, Ephesians, says that the Holy Spirit is now a deposit and a guarantee of the inheritance. Do you see how the whole Bible works together? Jesus kept his Father's promise. I'd like to invite Rob and his team to come, and, and we'll get prepared to, to sing again. But I want you to take moments to consider this. Christ carried the penalty of a broken contract on his back. God incarnate cut the new covenant in his own blood and said, it is finished. There's no greater sign. And the offer still stands. Friends, how do you still doubt? How do you still doubt God's pursuit of you? Or downplay your part in his story. If you but turn to him, humble yourself, take an honest audit of your life. So I'm a pretty good person. I, no. All of that pales. It's all debt that needs to be paid for. Just turn to the Lord and say, I believe. Please forgive me. Jonathan and Cheryl went to the bank yesterday, had to set up a special appointment to see, meet with the bank teller. Bank teller was actually an immigrant from the Ukraine and shared his story with Cheryl and Jonathan. We're, they were there to set up a debit card so Jonathan could have a, his own debit card. So, so now I get to put money into his account. And, and, and he gets to spend that money however he wants. Think about the debt that you and I have. Christ has paid for us. If you humble yourself right now, you ask God, give me a sign, he will lead you to the foot of the cross, then to the empty tomb, then to the day of Pentecost, then to the embrace of the nail-scarred hands of your Savior. How can you know for sure? Look to Jesus. I know we're going to have lyrics, but I want to share with you the lyrics that Rob's going to sing. It's a little practice. A little practice. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. The blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. It will never lose its power. Amen. Let's sing.